The Sports Career Podcast, episode 257. How can self-leadership improve individual and team performance? Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in sports leadership and team performance. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your self-development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Maureen Monte. Maureen is an author of Destination Unstoppable and she specialises in leadership and team consulting when building rapport in the change room. So helping a team really thrive to winning with regards to that team cohesion. So for that reason, it's such a joy to have Maureen as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Maureen will share her sports career journey and explain to you why self-leadership can improve an individual and team performance. Maureen, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Well, I guess, frankly, it started with my first job. I was a um, two sports jobs. I was a little league umpire for baseball in the United States. And when I was 13, I think, and I had to throw a coach out. And because he was abusing me and abusing everybody because I called this guy out at home and this is boys baseball, right? And I'm a girl umpire. And, um, and so I, he began to, you know, he's screaming, he's screaming. I, and I had watched enough baseball with my dad who had died two years earlier um, to know that I'd seen many coaches thrown out in baseball, right? So as he continued to scream at me, I'm like, one more peep out of you and you're out of here, right? And he, and, and I didn't think I'd do it. And I did it. And <laughs> And he, he was so angry and I just turned my back on him and I did my little baseball counter. I'm like, play ball, you're out, play ball. Right. So he ran out to the outfield beyond the outfield where, where baseball players were playing and he turned somersaults. That was his protest. Okay. So I've always been athletic. I played basketball in high school and tried out for my college team and got hurt. In fact, I had wrist surgery from an injury in the practice. And I never re-engaged at a college level, but I've done all kinds of sports, fencing, tennis. Uh, I, I still run um, martial arts. And then one last thing about my job that actually, we're going to talk a little bit about my book, Destination Unstoppable. I like working with hockey teams. My three brothers played hockey. They were younger than me. And I drove the Zamboni at the ice arena, right? So, you know, how do, what, what, what better way to start a sports career? <laughs> Absolutely. I want to go back in time with that umpire situation. Because I know I know you're very, very young, but I think what this is so important, standing up to yourself. How important is that with regards to because age has always been a thing, you know, just for any listeners who are starting a career, or it's the same principle. When when we're that young age, we feel like we can't, you know, communicate in a professional manner, which you did. 
to that coach like looking back now did you see there was a learning lesson from that which has helped you in your career looking back you know you know thank you that's such a great question and um and I'm leaping ahead a little bit here but my second book is called the win like a girl project and my biggest concern is I can measure internal talent and the low amount of self-confidence in female athletes it's extremely low like alarmingly low and, and my only point about that is uh, when, I, when I engage with female athletes, I'll say to them, do you guys believe in girl power? Oh, yes, we believe in girl power. I hate that phrase, to be honest with you. I hate the phrase girl power. It's pixie, it's pixie dust. It's a Disney movie. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's sheep staying together as a herd, okay? Then I say, do you believe in powerful girls? And they pause, right? And they think they're the same. I'm like, no. Girl power is a collective of women that stick together and think somehow by being fully together as a herd, but they'll drive themselves off a cliff. They'll make a mistake. There's no leader, right? And powerful girls are a pack of wolves. Wolves have a packs of wolves have a purpose, but the power of the pack is, as Rudyard Kipling said, you know, the strength of the pack is the wolf and the strength of the wolf is the pack. But without a strong wolf, your pack's nothing right? Without a whole bunch of strong wolves. So I reinforce all the time, powerful girl, powerful girl, powerful girl. And I, in my, the second chapter in my book is actually about how I had to do what I did at, at 13 over and over and over again throughout my career. I went into engineering. I was, the, I started my engineering career as the only female on the team. And I ended my engineering career as the only female on the team in 2016. So you better figure out how to stand up for yourself, people. And you can. It takes practice. And that's one of the things I do a lot of work with in my work with female athlete and athlete teams. Courage and confidence, standing up for yourself, overcoming fear. What are you most afraid of? Well, let's work on it. What boosts your courage and confidence? So through dialogue and measuring your strengths, which I use an assessment tool for that, we ha- I help them get there with a the goal of knowing someday, people, you are going to have to stand up for yourself. And the time to start practicing is now. And in America, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, we have parents that are doing their very best to remove every single possible roadblock that their child has that might make them fearful, uh, a struggle. Life is a struggle. All life is a struggle. So let's help them learn how to do that when they're young. Don't pave the road perfectly for them and say, here's how you do it, right? So that's, that's my lecture on that. And that's probably not where you thought we were going to go with this. But then I am a 1,000 strong believer in we need powerful girls. I don't care about girl power. You can have girl power after you have a whole herd of powerful, a pack of wolves together. Then that's girl power. Wow, what a great start. I want to go to your career. Could you just paint the picture? You said you did engineering, but you've also told me you did a bit at IBM. This was on a few emails we had. Like, I'd love to just, to hit, just paint the picture to the listeners, the career journey from a corporate standpoint, and then we can dig deep with regards to your books and also this podcast topic as well. My career with IBM. Um, so I got a BS and MS in mechanical engineering. And the only reason I wanted to make mechanical engineering, after my father passed away, I was the oldest and only girl three of her brothers, and we were very poor, like government funded poor, $250 a month to feed a family of five. So I knew, and I liked math and I liked science well enough. I was like, okay, I, what career can I make money? <laughs> and, and you can make money as an engineer in case you didn't know that. 
And I'm all for women going into STEM as long as they are wired to like STEM, right? So I graduate with a, a bachelor's degree. I'm offered to stay and get a master's degree. And it was funded through a grant. And um, I was so tired of being poor that I set this goal for myself. And this is, again, setting goals that, that is an important part of success, no matter what your gender or role is in life. I said, all right, I'll stay one year. So I completed a two-year program in one year. And I set a goal of getting a 4.0, which is the perfect score, right? And I didn't get a perfect score in undergrad. So I don't know why, you know, I don't know why I thought I could in graduate school. So, <clears throat> but I did it. And, and then I was hired by IBM to work in the robotics industry. And I started there and uh, I that was in Florida. I eventually moved back to Michigan to help my mom and, and there was some stuff I could do in the auto industry. So multiple years with IBM, I became engineer of the year. And it was for my ability to solve people problems. At the root of everything I do well is I help solve people problems. There's the formal system of success, writing code, creating podcasts, then there is the human system, how people behave in pursuit of victory, right? And, and everything's about victory, right? I mean, you're not in business to lose, I don't think. So let's, let's make sure we can help you get there. And so through that, and I ended up living in Paris and then I, I uh, working with the French and love the French, but let me just say, being female, engineer, American, and not speaking French, there were many obstacles and I was there for a year. <laughs> just so I was constantly doing battle with the French, which is an American French thing. And um, then I, I came back and started my own business and got into leadership and ethics eventually. Then I rejoined IBM to help them build a better partnership with General Motors, the car company. And so I'm very good at, again, the kind of the people problem, team problem, uh, strategic partnership. I love strategic building strong strategic partnerships. And so that's then I did that for about eight years, I guess. And at this, all this time, I was doing the strength finder. I was exposed to the strength finder with my leadership and business ethics. And that's an assessment that measures holistic talent, right? Including things we can't see. The best athletes sometimes have that internal motor that is so powerful that it overcomes whatever physical weaknesses they may have, you know, they're in their game. So uh, throughout my time at IBM, I was doing that with teams around the world. It was never my day job. But I did that and it was a, a great playground to then leave and do this full time. Right at the end of my career at IBM, I got the opportunity to work with my first sports team. And that is when everything changed. I had already been doing external work with corporations and I continue to do it now. I love them. As long as everybody's willing to work hard to achieve success, we're good. If I have to convince you to do that, I'm not so good. And, and obviously sports teams are wired to to work hard to achieve success. So it's a good fit for me. So that's how, that's kind of the big picture thing. Wow, we've got to dig into this, but really quickly, I have to go back to France a little bit because the one thing I've learned is about culture and getting out of your comfort zone. Looking back, did you learn so much from that experience? I know you said you had obstacles, but from what did you take the most from that experience from a out your comfort zone situation out of interest? You know, it's a great question. And I, I think there were a couple of things. Um, Patience. So in America, if I say no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, you can convince me to do something else, but I say no and I mean no. I discovered that the French say no to save face a little bit. And if I had patience and, you know, then, then in 48 hours, the no might turn to a yes with no explanation of why. 
right? So I was like, wow, you know, I mean, it, it was a cultural thing from that standpoint. The ability to navigate in a political environment where you're, and, and I'm going to use the word unwelcome, and it, it, it just is hard to accept outsiders that are coming in. And I'm basically saying their baby's ugly, by the way. Their software was ugly. It was crappy quality. The customers hated it, right? And they, write, they were the writers of the code. So, you know, that's not easy, let alone from an American female who thinks she's right. You know, I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of dynamics there. But at an individual level, I love them. I had a great time. The things I took from my time in France, I couldn't believe how polite they were to one another in an, even in a, a work environment or an informal environment. If you walk into a shop, you say, you know, good morning, ma'am, basically, or and I, you know, bonjour, madame. And you didn't just go, hey, how are you? Like we do in America. It upped my politeness game. And I'm still very sensitive to that. I think that's a, that's a competitive advantage. If you are uber polite and know what that looks like, you have excellent manners in today's society, that's a, that's a competitive advantage. So I work on that with my athletes. So just on that point, looking back throughout your whole career, how has communication had an influence to your journey as well? It's a good, I never thought of myself as a great communicator. I like to write and I always did. But I think when you're forced to explain yourself over and over again, you get better at it, right? Uh, the other thing that the Strength Finder has reminded me that it, it measures, in, including how you think to solve problems, which by the way, no one can see. What's happening in your side, inside your head right now, Ed, I have no idea. It's clear to you. It's a movie. It's as real as can be, right? And so, but you can, you can mentally solve a problem, but it, nothing changes until it comes out of your mouth and you help people make the problem be solved, right? So knowing that what was clear to me inside my head was not clear to anybody else. And I've got a lot, this is my value proposition. And then it comes out, but I have to think about it to help solve the problems. Right. So that was a, an important learning point for me as well. And I think just knowing that you, the movie inside your head is the movie no one else can see. So you have to share that. Right. The fact that we're all wired differently makes it even more difficult. I go to a movie, you go to the movie, the same movie you hate it. I think it's the best thing ever. Right. Same movie. So it's just a matter of sharing, knowing whatever that is that you're is happening inside of you, your emotions, your thoughts. And if you are a leader and want others to come with you, which is an influence, leadership is an influence relationship with others, not a title, it's an influence relationship towards a common goal, then you must communicate that, right? No one, no one can know otherwise. Wow, what a great example. I love that movie example. That's really got me thinking. Look, so from your first you know, gig working with the first sports team, is that when you dig right deep into the topic of leadership? Like I know you touched on it just at the end there, but why leadership and looking looking now in the current work you're doing, why is it so influential in team sports and what you're currently doing? My foray into leadership began in 2006 when I earned a master's in leadership in business ethics. Now I thought everyone would want to understand ethics. Nobody wants to understand ethics. Okay. Nobody's interested in hearing how to ethically solve a problem. And the shame with that is it's like accounting. You can take an, a problem, a financial problem in a business and walk around it from different accounting principles. We can do the same thing with ethics, but nobody wants to do that. So I, I abandoned the ethics idea, uh, even though I use it a lot in my own life. And I'm a big believer that leaders have to be virtuous, right? There's nothing that ruins everything faster than you are not trustworthy right? And you don't, and you're not ethical. So um, my interest in leadership, though, began when I was young. If I think about it, you know, I was always interested in like, 
the hero figure in a movie or a strong character that was doing the right thing. That was always appealing to me, a book, movie, that kind of thing. So I just decided to formally study it. And then I began using it at IBM and then eventually with my sports teams. But to me, life is leadership. There is no escape. Everybody's a leader at some level, whether it's you're, you're influencing your boss, which is a leadership relationship, you're influencing your team, you are uh, at a, in a church or at a social, you're part of a group that's solving world hungry, hunger, then there's a, a leadership thing happening there. So life is leadership, sport is leadership, and, and business is leadership. So what's the difference between a role model and a leader, or are they the same? Well, you, I can have a role model. So let's say I decide Jocko Willink, who we've been chatting a little bit about, is my role model, model the, the author of Destination of the Thoughtable, uh, when we both know that I don't have anywhere near that amount of discipline that he has. But let's say he's my role model. I can learn everything there is about him and model myself after him, but he may not be my, I may not have a, a relationship with him, right? So because leadership is a influence relationship with others, the relationship matters, right? So both are useful. And one, they can be the same if you have a relationship with a person, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I do. Like, uh, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot because I think this oh, is a right. really, really enjoyable conversation. And just on the leader side of thing, say, okay, I'm a leader. Great, Ed. Do you need to have a mission behind your thoughts to lead? Or is it actual setting the tone of putting things into practice to lead the world? Uh, sorry, I'm going really deep. I hope no, what I've is... said makes sense, but I'll be really intrigued of your definition of leadership. But for the listener, like it doesn't mean you have to be that military status or you have to be a president. You know, it's actually, as you said, you can be at home a leader, but I, I want to dig deep of is it our actions or is it our words in that sense? So yeah, I'm going to give you the mic on that side of things. <laughs> it's a great question. So my favorite leadership definition, and I've put it in my, my latest book, um, is from a man named Richard Daft. I would change my last name if my name was Daft, but that's okay. That's another story. Um, and uh, he, he said, leadership is an influence relationship with others in pursuit of a common mission. And I'm summarizing it, right? So we all have to be aligned and aiming at some sort of success. Grow the business, win the state championship, whatever, right? So, so to me, it's, it's not a title. Sometimes your best leaders are not the ones given the CEO title or the captain title on a team, right? It's, it's who can influence in, in the moment even sometimes in the pursuit of what we're looking for. In terms of doing and, and acting, uh, you know, there's many a leader that has said wonderful things then does not follow them with action, right? So you know, authenticity, action and words aligning, uh, obviously, we can, you know, people, sh people show us who they are, not by their words, but how they behave. And so that's where the, the rubber meets the road. And I think uh, too often, the leader is seen as someone that must be this great communicator that has the perfect answer and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not true. In fact, if they don't have the answer saying, I don't know, is a lot more powerful than, oh, here's the answer. And obviously, they don't know, right? So um, that I work on with athletes in particular, the notion that everybody can influence the team, right? And 
what I do well may not be what you do well, Ed. And so if what I need, what we need to do is something that I don't do well, I'm going to hand it over to you. If I do not give a great locker room speech and you do, I'm the captain, you're not, I'm going to say, Ed, give it to him. Give it to him. Let's cover these three things. You go do it, right? Because the outcome is what matters, not who's doing it. And, and one quick point on that, I did work with a hockey team that um, had a leader that always insisted, he captain who always insisted on giving a great a speech in the locker room. And they were so terrible that it, it utterly galvanized the team, right? They're laughing their heads off by the time he's done. He's doing this. He's like, guys, this is serious. And they would go out and kill it, right? So, you know, there is that element of it that is, uh, is a little bit unpredictable, but you must first know who you are. The, the final thing I want to say about leadership it all starts with self-leadership. There's an entire chapter in my new book coming out. It's about self-leadership. If you cannot manage yourself and lead yourself to the minefield of your emotions and the difficulties of the challenges you're facing right now, you cannot lead others. So that's the first thing we should be helping young people practice is self-leadership. So does that lead to, sorry, I'm going to dig into this chapter now, does self-leadership can have um, a relation to self-discipline, which we again have a common theme on in this topic. <laughs> yeah, common lack of. <laughs> it can, although I think the big thing about self-leadership is the notion of complete understanding of what your talents are and what they're not, what you do not react positively to. So, for example my background in ethics, I am interested in responsibility, people doing the right thing. I will turn into a glaring mean monster if you're doing something irresponsible that's hurting the team, okay? I will not be pleasant, right? So, but my, I need to, resp- I need to not scream at you about that. I need to say, okay, what does Ed need for me to shift him from A to B? But it starts with me managing myself, right? And so the... I think the journey, and it never ends, and the way I describe it in the book, do you know that if you were to think of, if I say the in sentence infinity sign, do you know what that is? And yes, I do. Right. Infinity sign. Yes, right. Okay. So think of a line right down the middle of the infinity sign. There's the external world, and then there's the internal world. Self-leadership comes from deep, deep, deep understanding of the internal world, but it's never ending. So you understand it, then you go out and try something in the external world. And that gives you feedback that's internal. And you make this endless loop between internally thinking about what this is and externally doing it. And then it's endless. It's always, we're always learning, right? So it's, but with the goal of managing oneself so that you can influence with trust, authority, authority in the sense of people know who you are and you know who you are, right? And then I can call on you to do something that I'm not good at. And I value you for that. It's not about the title. It's about getting the job done. Wow. I love that affinity sort of example as well. Just getting to one, if we could do one case study, because you've got an awesome blog, which we'll talk about, but you did a great article with a Canadian fencing team. And you had a thing called Attitude and Gratitude Meetings, which was, I think it was the part, I think it was like part five of the blog which I found fascinating how you incorporated this term in the meetings of every meeting you had as a team. Could you just touch on that? Because I think this is so important for coaches, but also athletes in that sort of team environment. So yeah, I love your thoughts on that. 
Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think, so there's the phrase attitude to gratitude and everyone can, you know, it rhymes nicely and it sounds warm and fuzzy and it is, and, you know, gratitude is really important. However, putting it into play. So I do something called the circle of appreciation where I have a team sit in a circle, even large teams do this. And they turn to, if I'm sitting in a circle and you're on my right, Ed, I would say, all right, we're going to go around the circle in that direction. I would turn to you Ed, and I would explain um, why I was grateful for you, you being on the team. Why I was grateful for your contributions, what I saw in you that's wonderful and great. And uh, the, the sacrifices you might've made for the team. Maybe, maybe you chose to uh, help someone that was struggling with their homework or whatever. There's all kinds of ways it can go. Right. And um, I've had many, pe- many teams come to tears during this because we so rarely honor how we respect and love one another. And what the outcome of that is, is people, it deepens connections. And a unified team, pound for pound, will outperform a fragmented team every single time. So at the core of a lot of my work is unity. And even if, you know, with this strength finder, if you have completely different strengths than me and I don't get you at all, I'm like, why are you behaving like that? Once I understand that you have how you're wired, I can suddenly say, okay, actually that's, I can appreciate that. I can have gratitude for that. So in my first book, Destination Stoppable, I use the analogy of an eagle and a dolphin and they both catch fish, but they don't like one another, right? They look at the other one and the dolphin might think, my God, that eagle never says hello and it sits over there in the corner by itself. And the, the eagle might look at the dolphin and go, my God, they never shut up, right? And they think they're so cool. And, and so, but once we learn their strengths, we can say, wow, look at the eagle. You're this kind of thought leader person. We're gonna put you in this role. And dolphin, you're so charming and unplayful that we're going to put you client facing, uh, but we're all going to catch fish, right? And we're going to do it together. And if you think about the world, and this is the challenge with people in teams and all teams struggle, is that there's the world, the earth. The dolphin and the eagle will never see the earth the same way. The, The dolphin will never see the earth from the perspective that an eagle can fly. Never. They might see pictures but they'll never experience it. And an eagle will never experience the uh, life of a dolphin, playing with others, catching fish in that way, verbally chatting it up with everything, you know, groups. So, but the earth is the same. Do you see the earth does not change? Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, I was gonna say that word perspective from, you know, an eagle up in the sky and the dolphin in the sea in between which I call like the air or, you know, the surface is different points of view. So no, your stories in this podcast are fantastic. They're simple to understand, which hopefully from the listener, you can picture it as well. Just going back though, because today's topic is all about like how to be unstoppable in that locker room. I assume with all the examples you've given in this, this is what makes a team click with regards to being unstoppable from a cohesion standpoint, but most importantly, performance. So you've touched on so many good examples already, but just for any listener who's a coach or an athlete, how important is all this? Because, you know, you can't just be an individual in a team without that cohesion. So could you just touch on like the core qualities of being unstoppable, particularly in that locker room environment, where so I've heard from different athletes, that's where the magic happens. And actually from a lot of athletes, that's what they miss 
from when they retire as well. So could you just talk about that environment and how it's so important for a coach and an athlete to succeed, to create, as you say, that outcome they're trying to achieve? Right. No, that's, that's a great question. And in fact, the challenge in my, the, the hockey team in my book, Destination Unstoppable was, and, and when the coach told me this, I took it for a grain of salt. All coaches think their, their teams are extremely talented. And I, and I don't care if they are, I don't care if they win or lose. I want them to reach their full potential. So very talented, but they, they, they're fragmented. They don't respect the coaches, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and they don't respect the captains, uh, lots of fighting. So fighting's a problem. So I spent a total of two hours and 45 minutes with them. We defined success, not just what's winning the state championship, which they wanted desperately. But then I said, so tell me about championship behaviors. The locker, everything in the locker room is behaviors. Everything is behaviors. What are championship behaviors? They began to list them. In 10 minutes, we have a team success statement. Win the state championship through brotherhood, full effort, discipline, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then we instituted something I call a team trust bank. And I said, this is, I'm gonna explain this to you guys. And either everybody's in or nobody's in. There's no halfway here here. So the team trust bank is this. Every single interaction you have with one another on the team, on the ice, off the ice, and school is either helping and it's a deposit in the team trust bank, or it's hurting and it's a withdrawal from the team trust bank. You, your actions, behaviors, words are never neutral, never. It's either helping the team and it's a thumbs up and it's a deposit or it's hurting the team and it's a withdrawal. Telling someone they suck after they, somebody scored a goal is a withdrawal from the team trust bank. Telling somebody, don't worry, we'll use this to fire up the team and to get, get the next one, that's a deposit. It's a choice. It's a self-leadership choice. But either you guys are all in because they were fighting, you know, in fighting, right? And uh, trying to do too much. You're all in or nobody's in. I'm not, there's no halfway. So they're all in, which for high school boys is, you know, quite an accomplishment. And um, then we did the strength finding. And it turns out 18 out of 22 boys had competition, which means I want to win. I, pronoun, I want to win. Okay. And is the opponent, the guy sitting next to you who might be the starting goalie and you're a goalie, or is the opponent, the team down the street. So getting to the we of winning. And again, this is all about unity and the we of winning happens in the locker room a lot, right? That's all we did. And so, but they then began to value that other people were different from them. Right? So I go to Vegas because I'm still working for IBM. They win the next 10, 11 games outscore the competition 67 goals to 16 goals and they win the state championship for nothing. I'm like, this is the most funnest thing I've ever worked on in my whole life. Right. And I, and, and it wasn't me. I scored no goals, but I helped with the unification part. And one last point about that, the hero of the book never played a minute. Not only was he never played a minute, his name is misspelled on the roster. <laughs> and he's so unimportant that they nobody even hardly knew, knew who he was. And that's not quite fair because he was actually quite charming, but he was a third string goalie, never played a game. He had the strength of harmony. Harmony creates peace. Nobody on the team had harmony. Only Nolan had harmony. And so when coach saw that Nolan had harmony, he said, can you intervene when Jack and CJ are arguing, which happened daily, even with a team trust band. And he said, I can. And so Nolan went from nobody 
not a starter, not a senior, not a star, to the team captain of team chemistry. And he owned that role. And when I interviewed the boys after they won the state championship, nobody spoke about hoisting the trophy, which they were dying to do. They spoke about how great it felt to understand themselves better, to have the team reach the full potential. And they spoke about Nolan, third string goalie, untapped talent on the team, sitting dormant for three months. So that, but his emphasis on unity and on team chemistry is what helped that team win. He did more to help that team in the locker room than any other player, period. Was it Nolan, his name? Mm-hmm. Okay. Nolan On the spot, there's a leader there, right? Without, yes. So, you know, just explain some of the traits, just for the listener listening in, what did you see in him? I know he said, he, you know, he's, he managed to calm conversations or friction. That could be one element. But what other elements did you see in him that just elevated their performance? He, he is um, very verbal. Okay. And he did have great communication, but he was firm in his, in his, um, cause I, because I am combative by nature, I am low harmony. I was curious how you behave when you have guys fighting, right. And you you can do something about it. And he said he would get together with them and either help them solve the problem or tell them to stay away from one another and shut up. Okay. So, you know, that's kind of basic and typical guy behavior, frankly. And, but he is verbally gifted and is, can tell a great story He's friendly. He just wasn't a starter on the team, right? Or a, a star on the team. So they, the hierarchy on a team, there's always a hierarchy. And I work to eliminate that. Nolan is the man for unity on this team. No exceptions, no arguments, right? So when everybody buys into that, though, it makes life a whole lot easier. You're, I still have to stay in touch with him and his mom. But he, can, he will always be successful in life with those same traits. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story, particularly on the Nolan part, because I think it really paints a picture for myself and also the listener to see how success is that you don't have to be the front figure in your sport or again this is so applicable in the business world as well so really quickly you have touched on your books but what inspired you to write your first book was it relating to this experience out of interest yeah yeah destination unstoppable is the six weeks journey of my work with this hockey team that's all it is right now I throw in a lot of my leadership experience in the corporate world because it's all related, right? And I, and I help people project how having a unified team in the corporate world, which we don't emphasize, right? We don't emphasize team chemistry in the corporate world. When do you ever hear a leader talk about team chemistry in the corporate world? I can't think of a time, right? And yet it's the glue. It's the connective tissue. And when I, let, when I worked for IBM, I worked for them when they were the best company in the world and when they were not. And when they were not, it was because we were all remote. This is well before COVID. Nobody had an office. Nobody had a place it could go. My boss was in London. I haven't heard my name pronounced like you did since I, I worked for my boss. And I love that, by the way. And there's this disconnect of tissue. And, and the, the company began to fall apart to the point where they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're going to establish three offices around the country. And you have to move to one. And it, it was a mess. So my point being the connective tissue, the team chemistry, the unity, which comes from people that may not be the, the number one, number two, number three, number 40 person in the company, right? But there are people on the team that can do that. That's why you must measure the talent on the team to harness the talent on the team. And that's why I use the strength finder. I can measure that human glue. I can measure the people that can give a great speech, right? So I can measure those that will compete till their head falls off and never give up. 
And that's, uh, those are traits that are useful in the real world as well. Absolutely. And would you mind just sharing to listeners your blog? You've got some awesome articles there. And I'll just love you just to share what you've written. I do know because I've had a good little read and it's brilliant. But <laughs> just for the listeners listening in, just for your blogs, articles, can you just share a bit of insight of what you write as well on there? Yeah, you know, it's almost always got a leadership uh, or behavioral. Sometimes it's sports, sometimes it isn't, right? I'm going to move more into the sports only uh, because it's more interesting to me. Um, but, you know, you're building a winning team is a challenge for a sports team or a, a, a corporate team or a, a nonprofit charity, right? What, you, you, you don't want to win? I think you do. We just have this anti-competition, in America at least, an attitude towards competitive being not good. And yet, you know, we, nobody seems to object to Serena Williams being competitive or uh, Simone Biles, you know, even though they've struggled, you know, she struggled, everybody struggles. So, but the, the, uh, the notion that how do you help individuals and organizations reach their full potential? There's no um, formula, but there are some common ingredients that have to be there. And so I emphasize how do you harness through dialogue the obstacles that people are struggling with that are preventing the team from reaching their full potential? And you have to, I, I talk about speaking about the unspeakables. There are lots of unspeakables when I join a team right? When I go to work for a team and that's normal, but we have to talk about them or we can't solve them. Right. So I, for example, I worked with a lacrosse team that's going to be featured in my second book, female lacrosse team that had a, you know, three to three wins and seven losses start or something. And last year they'd won the state championship. I worked with them two years in a row and everybody's all up in arms. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, what's happening? Even parents are like, Oh my God, what's happening. I'm like, first of all, nothing's happening. That's this, nobody's losing their life for God's sake, right? A three and seven record. Okay. So what do we do about it? But you have to be willing to talk about it. The coaches are frustrated. The girls are scared, blah, blah, blah. So we, it's that journey through, I really like focusing on one team and taking how I, we work with them through that, which is a little bit about the blog. You saw about the, the fencing team. And by the way, they did really well. They only Russia sent as many fencers to the top 16 of the, uh, of the fencing competition, only Russia and Canada. And then they came in fifth, I believe, in the team environment. It's like, it's like uh, gymnastics. You compete individually and you compete as a team, right? And both of those were things that they'd never done before, right? So I'm very proud of them. I'm proud of what they, what they did. And it was a lot of fun to work with them. And from every aspect, not just them, but their strength and conditioning, some of their you know, physio, the coaches, it was a, it was a tremendous experience, but the, the journey is the same though. You've got to, there's obstacles to overcome. How do we overcome? Just really quickly, just on that Canadian uh, case study, because there will be a link where people can read it, but did you find there was a, a different way of how you communicated with them as a team and as an individual with regards to winning? Because that must be an interesting environment. Like you said, like the competition was also an individual and also a team sport. So how did you, Balance it, even the, you working with the coaches, how did you balance that topic for somebody to, I want to win, but so do I sort of effect. Love, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, everyone knew, right, that they might even fence one another at the Olympics. Yeah. And that, that isn't, that's a fence to other World Cups where they fence one another, you know, and it's always hard, right? But the thing about female athletes is as much as they want overall, this is, just, this is a generalization, but overall, the 
the, the collective is more important to them than the individual. Okay. And my strength finder data shows it. The guys have the intensity and the hard work. The women have the bonding and the hard work. So this bonding part is important to them. There were times, and I worked with them one-on-one, I didn't care what their problems were. Sometimes they were that, sometimes there was something else, right? Um, and the funny thing is, and I love her dearly, I always think it's important to have a super vet on the team. Somebody that's been around a little bit longer, calm, steady, not necessarily captain, but calm, steady. And the, the oldest fencer on the team was that person. And on June 21st, we spoke about her not being sure she was good enough to, to be part of it. And those are my words, right? She came in highest. She was eighth in the individual fencing. So I was like, oh, who belongs on the, who belongs on the Olympic team? Kelly does, right? So, um, but the, the fear sometimes is if, if I get to, what if somebody doesn't get to fence on team, for example, because you have to make substitution things. And it's like volleyball, people come in and out, blah, blah. So there's always a lot of anxiety and that's just normal. In terms of how I work with them versus any other team, no different. Longer, but no different. Um, the thing that's different is the amount of pressure on athletes at the Olympic level versus let's say college or high school, right? So that that causes, you know, we have to deal with pressure a little bit better. I was going to say it's a huge word in elite sport. With regards to pressure itself, how do you define it yourself when working with these teams and athletes? Well, it's an individual experience because what I feel pressured by, you won't. Okay. I mean, I think the biggest fear on earth is giving a speech followed by eating a being eaten by a shark. Right. And one is a death experience. The other one generally isn't. But if I'm not afraid to give a talk and you are, then, you know, so pressure, courage, confidence, fear is very much an individual experience. It's what do we do then? Right. How do you talk yourself off the ledge so that you don't go over the ledge? That's and that's an individual experience. But in the end, um, I'm working with a mental toughness person uh, that I'm learning from. And, you know, you're, you can't be fearless and fearful. It's different parts of the brain. So if you're feeling fearful, you got to figure out how to shut that valve off and open up the other one. And only you can do that, but there are, you know, techniques for that sort of thing. It's brain science now that we're into, right? Which I'm not a... Yeah, it's like, um, I think Tony Robbins said, you, you can't be frustrated and grateful at the same time. Exactly. So, yeah, it's the same sort of principle in that sort of sense. It, it's identical. And so you get to, it's your brain. So who's the boss of your brain? You or your brain? Right. So you, you, but, but that takes practice and, and commitment that not everybody's willing to do. Right. Finally, I need a little favor just because you work with elite athletes. Could you provide some guidance for some athletes, how they can apply the skills they learn in their sport, which can be applied in a business environment. Like I have athletes in the show who have that struggle phase of what's next. We all go through it, but with regards to an athlete who's dedicated X amount of years, and then they go, well, now what do I do? I don't, I have no purpose. Just from when I say an outside, I mean a coach or an influencer when you work with these athletes and you see their qualities. Can you just provide some guidance for these athletes of how their qualities are applicable in the business world? And we've applied it already in this conversation that all this team chemistry is so applicable in the business world or any team environment. Like you even said a great one, like a church community or if you're fundraising, it's the same principles. But I'd love to hear your thoughts or guidance on tips you could give to athletes if they're thinking about that retirement word, they can apply their qualities they've already got into other walks of life. Absolutely. And I, I think um, one of the things I focus on the upcoming book, uh, The Win Like a Girl Project, is we need to start talking about 
uh, the connection between sport behavior and success in life much younger. It's identical. Okay. So the, the, in fact, there's, there's research and I'm going to list one, one that, um, but it's, it's true of whether it's no matter what the gender is, but there's research from the women's sports foundation, I think. And they studied 400 executives on multiple continents, female executives, and some, so the C-suite, the chief executive officer, the blah, 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 whatever, ginormous amount, 75% above were athletes. And at the C-suite level, the highest level, it was something like 95%. And here's the interesting thing. They were looking to hire athletes for three reasons. Determination. Athletes don't quit. And I, and I can measure the never quit strength. It's the number two strength in the male athlete group, group that I've worked with. And it's the number one strength in the female athlete database. So they don't quit. Two, they understand the value of winning. Three, they not just won't quit, they work hard. So there's a difference between I won't quit and I work hard every day. Both are measurable. And then finally, collaboration, teamwork, team collaboration. So all those things are, are defined, even in, you know, through research, as reasons to hire athletes. And by the way, that's the same for gender, right? In terms of where you go with that information, first of all, you have to, I think it's important you know what your strengths are. I had a conversation yesterday with a young man that has his own chapter in Destination Unstoppable. And he pinged me about two weeks ago, hey, hey, I, I've lost my strengths report and I'm going to do a job interview. I sent it to him. He nails it. He gets the job, right? So, but if you aren't aware of that internal motor inside of you and cannot communicate it, which many of us are unaware of it, we think everybody behaves and sees the world the way we do, then you should do that. And second of all, understand that there's value out there in those behaviors, then where you aim at is where your passion is or where your knowledge is, right? If you've got some geeky tennis player that's retiring, but likes to write code, go do that for somebody, right? So you have to then align with things that, are, that matter to you. And only you can decide that, right? But those talents, those characteristics, those behaviors will be valued anywhere. And if they're not, you don't want to work there anyhow. Absolutely. Maureen, I hope the listeners are enjoying this conversation. Out of interest, what have you enjoyed the most from your career journey looking back right now? You know, it's the, I have a strength called individualization. And so I'm very interested, like to know what makes you tick. And I like to know, the reason I'm a good team consultant is I appreciate the shape of different shape of the puzzles on the team. Each person's a puzzle. They have to fit together the one puzzle, right? So then just happen to be good at that. But for me, the stories of the individual are, are what I enjoy most. I'm thrilled if they win the state championship. I'm thrilled if they win at the Olympics. I, but I don't really care. I love them regardless, right? But the, the stories, uh, like the, you know, the young man asking me to help with the interview, and that's been six or seven years now. And then the other quick story I'll share is I, got, I worked with a young man, a uh, hockey team, four years he was on the team. And he spent a lot of time in the penalty box, all right? And I'm like, dude, when's the last time you ever scored a goal from the penalty box, right? So we worked on staying out of the penalty box. He would get, I would say like a half inch better each year. And this year they won the state championship. Again, it's the same school, the Destination Unstoppable. But it, this was all about the team unity. They were way less talented in, in, in terms of hockey and way more united. And this kid, and I loved him to death, with nine seconds left, they're up four to one in the state championship. He gets a penalty. I'm like, who gets a penalty with nine seconds left when you're about to win? And, you know, he's laughing. And I'm like, oh, my God. So he graduates. And I was, you know, wished him well. And I do wish him well. And I got a text at midnight the other night from him. Hey, Maureen, I just played my first junior hockey 
game and it went good. And I just want to tell you everything you taught me has really helped me. If we'd have gone through the list of people that I thought I'd hear from, I would not have been number one. Okay. So you just never know. And I'm thrilled for them. Right. And so, but I like the individual overcoming that hurdle to help them be successful. I can totally hear it in your voice of how much you enjoy it and that that aspect of what you do. And I'm fascinated in what you're doing and I'm looking forward to building off this conversation with you. But as always, I like to finish with an inspirational question. And you provided case studies, examples, great simple pictures of how to define things with regards to perspectives. For me, it's the, the eagle and the dolphin of, you know, working together. But with regards to this inspirational question, you've talked about you like helping people reach their full potential, but for the listeners listening in, what three qualities or tips would you give to the listener to improve themselves with regards to their full potential in what they do in sports or in business? What would those three qualities or tips be? So I think it starts with self-leadership, which is self-understanding. Okay. Be, be completely understanding of what makes you tick, where you are at your best, where you're not at your best and embrace that. Be authentic right? So, but it starts with you. You're at the core, right? Only you can know you. Nobody else can know you, not your mom, not your boss. You have to know you and then share that as part of it. Um, and then in terms of, of, of leadership, I think the next step then is appreciating the qualities of people that are different from you. Many a team has surrounded itself with people like them and then doesn't do as well as if, you know, if we added an eagle, to three dolphins, we now have something that we can, it's different. It's a competitive advantage. So surround yourself with good people that are different from you, right? And then focus with unbreakable energy on the unity of the team. So I say you, protect, you must always protect the success of the team by protecting the unity of the team. You can't control the score. You can't control the weather. You can't control the pandemic, but you can focus on the unity of the team. What do they need to be unified and how do you deliver that to them? Awesome. I hope the listeners are taking note. And thank you so much for sharing those tips and the many more in this whole podcast, Maureen. But how can people connect with you online? So um, I've got an email at Maureen at MaureenMonte.com. My website is MaureenMonte.com. And, you know, if anybody's interested after hearing this and learning more about the Strength Finder, they can email me. I'll send you a quick overview. Um, it's not expensive. It's about $20 US dollars. And you learn your top five pistons with that internal energy, uh, internal motor. And I think that's a very worthwhile endeavor. I'm on Twitter, Maureen Imanti. I'm on Facebook, Destination Unstoppable. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, happy, happy to connect. And I have no agenda other than helping people reach their full potential. That's, that's my agenda. Awesome. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to the blog post, with regards to this podcast. I have a commitment. I want to have a request. Oh, okay. I'm going to send you a code to take the strength finder. Okay. And then I want to measure that internal molar and I want to hear about it. And maybe another time we'll talk about that. Sounds like a plan. And thank you so much for that opportunity. As always, it's been such a joy chatting with you today, Maureen. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity, Ed. I've enjoyed it immensely. I knew I would. Wow. What a really enjoyable conversation with Maureen. There's so much I've taken from this conversation, but I'd like to highlight three key areas as a reminder of my biggest learning lessons. Firstly, if you're listening to this and you're working not in the sports industry and you're figuring out the how, 
I hope you can learn from Maureen from her expertise in engineering at IBM and how she's applied it into a new niche with regards to leadership and team cohesion with regards to what she's doing with corporations and sports teams. So the key bit I'll just want to highlight is it is possible and it is transferable. That's number one. The, the second thing is I want to touch on the leadership side of things. I really enjoyed when Maureen was saying it starts with self-leadership. It starts with ourselves. And at times, even including myself, I forget about myself first with regards to my responsibilities, my priorities, and then putting that message out there with regards to my vision and my podcast show. So hopefully you can take some wisdom and also from her great examples of her storytelling like Nolan being in charge of the ice hockey team with regards to being in charge of the cohesion of the team that was his main role despite he was the third string keeper and then the third thing I want to touch on is always knowing your strengths I think this is super important because everybody says like know your strength but then you go like how do I measure it how do I know because it's all in our mind at times we don't actually take a step back and do that self-awareness so for me what I wanted to share was I actually like Maureen said she nicely gave me the opportunity to do that self-evaluation on my strengths which is called the strength finder I did it it was a 30-minute questionnaire and after that we went through it so my four key areas like my strengths is a learner achiever consistency and focus and when I went through the questionnaire and went through that evaluation from Maureen, it really opened up my eyes of who I currently am. Because at times when I do different projects or do this podcast show, I'm so focused on the task in hand, I forget about like what are actually my strengths. So hopefully you can relate to what I'm saying there. So if you want more information, which I highly recommend, I will in the podcast notes leave a link to Maureen's website where you can contact her direct for more information about the Strength Finder. I think it's so important, particularly if you're job finding or you're figuring out your next step with your career, having that awareness of yourself with regards to your strengths is so important because that is what employers want. They want to know your strengths in how you can add value to their organization or KPIs, key performance indicators. So look, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat and apply those leadership principles to your sports career development today and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Maureen said, self-leadership is self-understanding. So you've got to have a clear understanding of what makes you shine in what you do and be authentic in how you impact others to win. <laughs>